Good morning, everyone. I'm Shanetta Contestable Overeater and your leader for tonight. Um, welcome to the Thanksgiving in the Virtual Park, a national recovery event hosted by the Los Angeles Intergroup of Overeaters Anonymous. My name is Shanetta and I am a compulsive overeater and bulimic and leader for, your, for this meeting. This meeting is being recorded for the audio only podcast. The recording will end when the speakers have finished. We will honor the 12th tradition of anonymity. Will those who wish to please unmute yourself and join me in the serenity prayer. Whatever problem you may have with food, you are welcome here. Please observe the following notes on Zoom etiquette. Please treat this room as you would any in-person meeting room. Please dress appropriately. Uh, avoid cooking, eating, or using the restroom on camera, etc. Please keep yourself muted unless you are speaking. If logged in via the Zoom web or mobile app, the mute icon is on the left lower corner of the Zoom screen. If you have dialed in via telephone, please use star six on your handset to mute and unmute your line. The chat feature will be disabled during the meeting to limit crosstalk. You have the ability to chat directly to the hosts if needed. The chat feature will be enabled at the conclusion of our meeting so that members can share phone numbers and other information. The following is the OA preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive overeating and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. I have asked a friend to read our invitation to you, which includes the 12 steps. Uh, Mickey. Uh, hello, good morning. Uh, Mickey B, compulsive overeater, our invitation to you. We of Overeaters Anonymous have made a discovery at the very first meeting we attended. We learned that we were in the clutches of a dangerous illness and that willpower, emotional health, and self-confidence, which some of us had once possessed, were no defense against it. We have found that the reasons for this illness are unimportant. What deserves the attention of the still-suffering compulsive overeater is this, there is a proven workable method by which we can arrest our illness. Our, the OA recovery program is patterned after that of Alcoholics Anonymous. We use AA's 12 steps and 12 traditions, changing only the words alcoholic and alcohol to food and compulsive overeating. As our personal stories attest, the 12-step program of recovery works as well for compulsive overeaters as it does for alcoholics. Can we guarantee you this recovery? The answer is simple. 
If you will honestly face the truth about yourself and the illness, if you keep coming back to meetings to talk and listen to other recovering compulsive overeaters, if you will read our literature and that of Alcoholics Anonymous with an open mind, and most important, if you are willing to rely on a power greater than yourself for direction in your life and to take the 12 steps to the best of your ability, we believe you can indeed join the ranks of those who recover. To remedy the emotional, physical, and spiritual illness of compulsive overeating, we offer several suggestions, but keep in mind that the basis of this program is spiritual, as evidenced by the 12 steps. We are not a diet and calories club. We do not endorse any particular plan of eating. Once we became abstinent, the preoccupation with food diminishes and in many cases leaves us entirely. We then find that to deal with our inner turmoil, we have to have a new way of thinking, of acting on life rather than reacting to it. In essence, a new way of living. From this vantage point, we began the 12-step program of recovery, moving beyond the food and the emotional habit to a fuller living experience. As a result of practicing these steps, the symptom of compulsive overeating is removed on a daily basis, achieved through the process of surrendering to something greater than ourselves. The more total our surrender, the more freely realized our freedom from food obsession. But I'm too weak. I'll never make it. Don't worry. We have all thought and said the same thing. The amazing secret to the success of this program is just that, weakness. It is weakness, not strength, that binds us to each other and to a higher power and somehow gives us the ability to do what we cannot do alone. If you decide you are one of us, we welcome you with open arms. Whatever your circumstances, we offer you the gift of acceptance you are not alone anymore. Welcome to Overeaters Anonymous. Welcome home. Thanks, Mickey. The following speakers represent recovery from a diversity of manifestations of this disease, including compulsive overeating, binging, anorexia, and more. Each speaker will share what it was like, what happened, and what it is like now for up to 15 minutes each. I will give each. Hi, I'm sorry to interrupt. I think we missed the steps. Oh, did we? Okay. Am I wrong? Did we miss them? Uh, Katie, can you read the steps? Can you show the steps one more time, Katie? Okay, I'll just I'll run it. Hi, uh, Rashad, uh, compulsive overeater. The twelve steps of overeaters anonymous. Uh, we admitted we were powerless over food and that our lives were, had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Made, uh, eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 
10, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for our knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12, had it, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pardon the interruption. That's why we're here. So I wanted to get it in. No problem. Thank you, Rashad, for catching that. Um, okay. Uh, let's see. Where was I at? Um, I will give each speaker a five-minute warning when it's time to wrap up. Please welcome our first speaker, Jess M. Thanks, Shanetta. Hi, everyone. I'm Jess. I'm a compulsive overeater and sugar addict. Um, hi, all. I just want to say first, thanks to Rashad for asking me to speak. Thanks, Shanetta, for hosting. Um, thank you, Katie and Kelly and all the others who are doing service on this meeting. It's great to be here. Um, and I'm Jess. I'm, I'm from the Los Angeles Intergroup, but I found my recovery at the New York Intergroup. So any New York people, hey, uh, great to see you. Um, and I came into program in August of 2015. Um, my abstinence is at the end of May, 2016. So I have about four and a half years of abstinence from binging. Um, and I just wanna say, I'm very nervous. <laughs> um, and my profession involves public speaking uh, multiple times a week and I don't get this nervous. So um, I'll talk a little bit more why I think that's coming up, but I'm just really, really honored to be here. Um, I have never spoken at an event and just very grateful to spend this day with you all. Thanks to all of you for signing on and committing to recovery on um, what can be a really big eating day in this country. Um, gratefully for me now in recovery, it's just a Thursday. So welcome to Thursday, November 26th. Um, so the nervousness I will say for me, I think is coming from um, perfectionism is a really big part of my story. And um, I didn't realize how debilitating it is and how it's like a legitimate uh, defect until I came into recovery. And I'm very grateful to have learned that. Um, and I also have a deep, um, one of the ways that fear manifests for me is scarcity thinking. And so part of it here is, you know, wanting to get, deliver the perfect share. And then the idea that this is my only chance. So it has to be perfect. There will never be another opportunity to share, right? Um, and that's just not true, but that shows up for me in many ways. So what it was like was, um, yeah, a lot of scarcity thinking in life and then definitely around the food, right? So um, in my household, we didn't have a lot of what I would consider fun foods. Um, and so when I was exposed to them in other people's homes, I would just eat as much as possible um, because it was like, oh, I'm never gonna get these, these sweet items again or this fun food again. Um, and yeah, just a lot of, um, a lot of kind of worry and unsettled feelings. And I love that in the, in the opening invitation to you, it says the reasons for this disease are unimportant. And so I'm not gonna spend a lot of time analyzing why that's the case, but just, I think those are underlying feelings for me and I found comfort and soothing in the food. So that's a big part of my story was feeling like the food was, you know, a breath of fresh air for me. Um, and 
one of, I will say, early memories of my childhood is I did a lot of like organizing. I used to um, organize my dad's closet, organize things in the home. So that was one of the ways that control really manifested for me. So feeling like if things are where they are supposed to be, I feel better, right? Um, and I didn't really grow up in a chaotic household, but it's just, that's just something that is true for me. So um, that definitely ties into my my food. If I have the perfect meal, things will be better. If I know what I'm eating, things, I feel okay, right? So a lot of safety there. Um, so I'm going to share some pictures towards the end of, of my share. And so to connect the pictures, I will say in high school, um, there was a lot of perfectionism. It, it worked well in terms of I literally got straight A's, you know, <laughs> did very, very well. I exceeded in a lot of ways. Um, one distinct way that it showed up was um, I joined the cross country team when I was in high school, uh, my first year of high school, and I blew everybody away, right? I was written up in the newspaper. I was um, highly celebrated. I won every race <laughs> that I did, like that kind of thing. And I had so much fear about being able to replicate that the next year. I didn't think that I could live up to it. And that's when my eating started, was after my freshman, freshman year of high school, um, because I think it was so scary for me to have really high expectations. I feel good when I'm kind of setting the expectations. Um, but yeah, that's really when I went into the food. I was soothing, I was really, I mean, perfectionism can be very debilitating. So trying to find comfort in the food. Um, and then also a lot of self-sabotage. So before big cross-country races, I would like, eat a gallon of ice cream um, the night before. And I could not explain why I was doing that. And then sometimes I would still do well in the race the next day. And so I, it gave me permission to kind of do it again. Um, when I'm like shaking, <laughs> so I just, I wanna say that. I can hear it in my voice. It's okay. Um, look at all these 300 people. Oh, I love the hearts. Thank you. Um, it's all okay. I'm so grateful for recovery too. I can't imagine, I, like, I can't believe I'm here. You know, um, holidays were just such a self-destructive time for me. And I'm so grateful I don't do that anymore. You know, today I'm going to eat three meals and a snack because that's my food plan. What a cool thing. Um, anyway, in college, I did a lot of eating to soothe. I put on extra weight from the eating and I did a lot of hiding, like body hiding. I would wear clothes to hide my body. Um, I was just in a lot of shame and perfectionism and in college is actually when I learned that I had a eating disorder in part because I was taking a psychology class and we read about binge eating disorder and I saw myself on the page and I was like, oh man, I think that's what I have. Um, but it, as it says in our literature, um, I think it says self-awareness avails us nothing, right? So being aware didn't get me out of it. Um, so I really hurt my body over and over with eating. And at the time I was still a very competitive runner um, because I love running, but I was, I was um, carrying extra weight, which now I see I'm like my poor body, you know, it was going running miles and miles and miles, carrying all the food that I was hurting myself with. Um, after college, I got into a relationship and I was very happy and I started losing weight. And so I thought, I'm sure many of us, think that a relationship or something outside of us can solve the problem. That was the only time I've kind of been able to see a sweet thing and take it or leave it, 
right? And I was like, oh, this is it. I'm so happy. Um, and, and that's my solution. And then I ended that relationship, moved to New York and quickly gained back a lot of weight. And, um, and so because I'd had this kind of physical reprieve, I thought that I could get it again through control. Um, so I, I really tried a lot of over-exercising. Um, I remember one summer I ate every three hours because I, I thought that that would kick up my metabolism. So just like eating constantly to try to lose weight. And we all know the insanity. So anyway, um, I'll just say I found recovery through total, I mean, it's obviously higher power, such a weird thing how I found recovery and um, actually made my way into the rooms through the podcast. I found the podcast first. So thank you to those who do the service of recording this meeting um, and making it available. And um, sorry, someone chatted me. Um, so what I wanna say about recovery is I came in with no concept of higher power, very resistant to a higher power. And for me, um, where I am today is proof of kind of miracles because I have a concept now. Um, I came in totally unwilling to work the steps, especially the ninth step. Um, and I'm currently on my working my ninth step right now. Um, and, you know, I really connected to other people's stories, but I didn't, I didn't want the spiritual solution when I came in. Um, and you know, it didn't last very long. Like sticking to a food plan is helpful, but I couldn't gain long-term recovery without working the steps. So gratefully over time, I, I became willing, probably desperate to work the steps. So I just wanna say quickly what those steps look like for me today. Um, so admitting I'm powerless, I think I was pretty clear as powerless over binging when I came in, but it took me about two years to really, so, when I first came to the rooms, I emailed my family and I was like, hey, I found this thing. It's so helpful for me. And in that email to them, I said, you know, I really connect with the idea of being a sugar addict. It took me two more years to really surrender to the fact that I'm a sugar addict. I cannot eat dessert items sanely. They're never enough for me. Um, and so about two and a half years ago, I was willing to just put them down. For me, it's more loving. Um, a fellow taught me not an option, not a problem. And so I just don't engage with dessert items. Um, so that's like accepting the powerlessness um, is what that looks like. Um, my concept of a higher power, I'll say for anyone who's new or early in program doesn't have a concept, it really worked for me to ask other people. I said, what's your concept? And I tried on theirs, right? So um, early concepts for me, um, intuition, definitely. Um, a fellow in New York, talked about how when she saw pennies on the ground, that was a nudge from her higher power. And so I took that on. And actually, um, um, I'm at my partner's um, parents' house right now. You have five minutes left, Jess. Thanks, Shanetta. Um, and I've never been here before, and we're in like a suburban area. And uh, the other day, I was walking and saw a penny on the ground. And so it just reminded me, like, my higher power is saying, you're in the right place, right? And my higher power is basically whatever is the, the loving action, the simple action, um, because my default is to wrestle with life, right? To control, to try to make something happen. My higher power is like, eh, whatever's simple, you know? Whatever is like the least, um, when my hands aren't clenched, 
is that's what my higher power has for me. Um, ways I've really connected to my higher power through writing letters to and from my higher power. I learned that in the rooms. Um, the fourth step was so revelatory for me. And in turning over the first time I turned over my fourth step um, or did a fifth step, my sponsor reflected back the um, pattern of quote unquote closed mouth syndrome is what she called it. How often I don't speak up and then I'm living with the kind of the pain of that or wanting to say something and not saying it or the dishonesty and then needing to turn to the food. Um, um, what do I want to say? Every day I, I do a 10th step at night. I email my sponsor. I've worked my steps through the big book. So I basically just follow the instructions in the big book. I'm, I'm a big fan because it's so, it just says everything in there, right? You just read it and it tells you what to do. This is what you do in the morning. This is what you do at night. Um, so that's how I work that 10th step. I meditate every morning. Um, I read the daily readers and I sponsor. I hold service positions at meetings. So that's how I work my 11th and 12th step. Um, so in my remaining time, I will just, I always think it's fun when people have pictures. So thanks for the suggestion, Rashad. Um, so here's me in ninth grade as um, winning a race in cross country. Uh, before I was binging, I was always an athletic person, fairly lean. Um, and then in high school, I you know, was eating consistently, coping with perfectionism. Um, and on the right, you're seeing my high school graduation picture and I straighten my hair. I don't have straight hair. I have wavy hair, um, but that's one of the ways that, you know, who I am naturally is not enough, right? That's what my disease says. So I need to change myself. I need to hide my truth in order to be enough. That's the lie of my disease, right? Um, so in college, this is where I was overeating. You can see in the middle, I'm wearing a cardigan. I used to wear a lot of cardigans because I thought they hid my body. I absolutely hate cardigans now because I know that I use them to, um, to try to kind of mask my, my experience. Um, I felt really trapped. That was kind of my language for what I was experiencing is trapped in, in a body I didn't identify with, trapped in this consistent behavior of eating alone at night. Um, it was really, really painful. Um, and then after college, more eating, you can see on the left, I have not one, but two desserts and I'm very happy. Um, I love the sugar and just a lot of hiding my body. I, I never wore bathing suits at the beach. Um, and I was doing a lot of control, trying to control and it wasn't successful, obviously. Um, and then recovery, yay. <laughs> um, and for me, recovery just means freedom. So um, what I will say, like being comfortable and, and it's not all about the body, but just the, the, those are some distinct examples of freedom, being comfortable with my body at the beach. Um, for the first time I started exercising without a shirt on because I was like, it was a way for me to say your body is enough as it is. You don't need to hide your body. You don't need to change it. It is exactly enough, right? And it's not about the size. Um, we are fantastic as we are, something I learned in the program. And I do wanna highlight 2020 because it's been a challenging year for many of us. And for me, it started with breaking my ankle. Um, and one of my oldest fears, was you, if you ask me, was um, breaking my leg because I was so afraid of immobility and gaining weight. And I broke my ankle and I survived. My, I had to put my dog down. I did it all abstinently. Um, my clothes all still fit, right? I didn't gain a million pounds because I have this program. Um, and so there's just a lot of joy in my life, right? It's um, very imperfect, right? It's up and down, but overall 
I'm not hiding, I'm free. I can be my authentic self and tell you I'm nervous. And I think I'm at time, right, Shanetta? So um, thank you all. Thank you so much for, for listening and for letting me share. Thank you so much, Jess. Uh, yeah, I have about 13 seconds to see that. Great timing. Let's go here. Before our second speaker, we will have a special OA announcement. Please welcome our OA birthday party chairperson, Susan G. Good morning, I'm Susan, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Thank you, Mickey. Um, first of all, thank you to the LA Intergroup, and I want to especially acknowledge Rashad, who has actually finished his term on the board and still put this event together. It takes a lot to put these events together, so I hope you really express your grace and gratitude. Um, none of us would be here today if it wasn't for the founders of Alcoholics Anonymous, and today is actually Bill Wilson's birthday. I didn't know that my good friend Harlan just texted me that. So I will give him the credit. He would have been 125. So look at how many years people all over the world have been touched by these 12 steps. And come January, January 16th and 17th, the OA birthday party this year due to outside circumstances is going to be virtual. So all of you and many, many more can attend from all over the world keys of the kingdom that's the name of the birthday party as i feel so strongly that unfortunately through this unusual year we have all been given the keys we have gone to meetings all over the world spoken all over the world and i know for myself it is the biggest gift katie has just kindly shared the flyer in the um, chat we have an apple set up we have speakers coming from all over the world registration will be open on december 15th you don't have to pay for any flights any yucky lunches i know you can't embrace your friends but you can embrace them virtually and all of the new ones that you've made it will be 35 including raj you're unmuted including all of the recordings so we hope to see you there. If you are tech savvy and would like to volunteer, please take down my number and get in touch with me. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Thanks so much, Susan. All right. Uh, please welcome our second speaker, Charles H. Charles, yeah. Yep, I'm here. I got Zoom adequate. <laughs> so um, happy happy Thursday to everybody. Uh, I was speaking away. Um, thank you, Rashad, for your service, for asking me to uh, speak. My name is Charles H. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And um, I think every day uh, I should give thanks so I don't specifically uh, highlight this day for, for reasons outside of the realm of program. So um, I want to drill down in, in, in the, the, the uh, big book. Uh, I want to start in, in the doctor's opinion on page XXX, where it says all these and many others have one symptom in common. The, they cannot start drinking without developing a phenomenon of craving. This phenomenon, as we have suggested, may be a manifestation of an allergy which differentiates these people and sets them as apart as a distinct entity. It has never been by any treatment with which we are familiar 
permanently eradicated. The only relief we have to suggest is entire absence. Everybody knows that. That's like like the biggest picture and, and program um, for for a compulsive overeater of my magnitude. But the paragraph that I want to drill on, and that's the only one I'm gonna drill on today, is this immediately precipitates us into a seething cauldron of debate. Much has been written pro and con, but among physicians, the general opinion seems that most chronic alcoholics are doomed. So I want to drill down on that. In my um, tenure in Overeaters Anonymous, I didn't want to do it Yahweh. I didn't want to take suggestions from people. Um, so my numbers, how it was, what it was like before, I was a diabetic. My A1C was 15.4, uh, um, maybe like 13 years ago. And I just did what I wanted, drank what I wanted, ate what I wanted, and dipped and dabbed in a couple of meetings. And I was like, y'all crazy. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm African-American. Food is love in my, um, in my world. Um, and I still love food, but I, I have a different relationship with food because I took a step back and then my perception changed. Um, food is love in my community. Um, and in my world. However, I love it at a different magnitude now. For me now, food is fuel and anything above nutrition is emotion. You know, I ate when I was happy, ate when I was sad, ate because I wanted to, ate when I got up, ate when I went to sleep, ate with food in my mouth, sleeping, all types of, um, of those things. But, uh, I, you know, the debate, the debate business is I could, I could, play games on this specific Thursday and bounce right back Friday. Matter of fact, let me not, let me not bounce back Friday. Let me bounce back Monday. Let me, uh, you know, let me keep playing games with this disease, right? And, uh, you know, I suffered a lot because I wanted to suffer, you know? And um, I wanna go back to anything above emotion, anything above nutrition is emotion, you know, um, my, my problem is not food. Matter of fact, food and weight is my solution. Food is my solution. So if food and weight is not my problem, what's my problem? I, I suffer from a spiritual malady. You know, um, the 10th step, I used to think too, and I hope this is not crosstalk, I used to think that, you know, at night I'd do a 10th step. Well, I'd be miserable all day. I suffer from the buildup of human emotion all day. And you know, if I'm working, it's pretty difficult to be like, well, hold on, hold on job. Let me go run into the bathroom and do a 10 step. You know, maybe I can't do that at that point, but some, sometime I will get a, a, a minute to do something. And then I'll, I'll call another recovered fellow and say, hey, you know what? Do you have time for a 10 step? I can't wait till the nighttime. Matter of fact, the big book says, you know, um, when we retire at night, which there's, there's three parts to the 11th step. I know I'm jumping around, but you know, some people may not know. I was confused too. I thought, yeah, let me do a 10 step at night. But I was, I was like wondering how I'm stressed out all day with these buildup of human emotions. My boss get on my nerves, clients get on my nerves, family members get on my nerves, right? And I was waiting tonight to do an 11th step. I never went over the 11th step review with anybody. It says, it says at night, right? It says, when we retire at night, you know that, that paragraph on page 86. Let me go to it if you don't, because I need to go to it every single time. So uh, bear with me a second. It says, 
When we retire at night, we constructively review our day. Were we resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid? Do we owe an apology? Let me tell you, it's yes to those every single day because I'm human and I embrace my humanness and I don't try to act like I'm Superman in recovery because there's kryptonite and it comes in a form of human buildup emotions, anxiety, resentment, fear, you know, all those things, right? Um, have, have, I, have I kept something to myself which should be discussed with another person at once? Yeah. I don't tell everybody everything because I'm not I'm not Mother Teresa and I don't claim to be. No time soon. Well, we kind of loving towards all. No. What could we have done better? I'm doing my re review for Thursday, right now, for tonight. I know I'm not going to be kind of loving to everybody. Or we're thinking of what we could do for others. Or we're thinking of what we could pack in a stream of life. But we must be careful not to drift into worry, remorse, or morbid reflection, for that would diminish our usefulness to others. After making our review, Right, it says after making our review, we ask God's forgiveness. That's praying and inquire. Inquire was the big piece that I was missing. I wasn't listening. I wasn't getting quiet and meditating. What corrective measures should be taken? And then here's the next part of uh, step 11. On awakening, let us think about the 24 hours ahead. We consider our plans for the day. Before we begin, we ask God to direct our thinking, especially asking that it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest and self-seeking motives. Under these conditions, we can employ our mental faculties with assurance. But after all, God gave us brains to use. Our thought life will be placed on a much higher plane when our thinking is cleared of wrong motives. And then I'd like to go to where, where the next piece of the, the, the 11th step, which is where I fail a lot at, and I'm, I'm getting better at it, but as we go through the day, we pause when agitated or doubtful, ask for the right thought or action. We, we, con we constantly remind ourselves we are no longer running the show, humbly asking ourselves many things each day. Thy will be done. We are then, here's some promises in the 11th step. We are then um, in much less danger of excitement, fear, anger, worry, self-pity, or foolish decisions. We become much more efficient. We do not tire so easily for we are not burning up energy foolishly as we did when we were trying to arrange life for ourselves. It works, it really does. There's some 11 step promises. And, and you know, some of my spiritual teachers really were um, relevant in my life when they said, I need to entangle 10 and 11 together. Cause that sounds just like page 84. We continue to watch for, you know the four major character defects. And you know, if I'm abstinent, right? To the best of my ability, you know, um, you know, I could deal with my problems, which is my emotional sobriety. You know, I could deal with being around my family. This is the only meaning I'm going to. If I got people texting me all these Zoom meetings. You know what? Thank you, but no thank you. <laughs> this is the only one I'm going to for the day. And I'm gonna enjoy the day with my family and whatever they eat, they eat. I'm gonna have my jerk salmon. I'm gonna be good money. But I, you know, I promise Rashad I will be here. I got here at 11.46, which is, I guess, uh, 8.46 your time, three hours behind, whatever. And, and, you know, because he asked me and I'm gonna get him to, to share at, at one of our meetings. And that's how we do it. We, you know, we do it together. I'm just not a service junkie. You know, I do a little bit because my family deserves me. You know, my family deserves me. My job deserve, deserves me. I did some things like, you know, work with people um, during the time that I'm working. That's dishonesty. I, I have that every single day. And, 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 I, and I'm getting better at those things to departmentalize and, 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 and to, to you know, give time time and, and, and to balance. Balance is the issue that, you know, I have, so, I have a full life um, and I'm so grateful for my family. I'm so grateful to, 
you know, follow, shut up, doggy. <laughs> I'm so grateful for um, being in a gathering of 10 or less. I'm so grateful to not suffer from, you know, these outside issues that's going on right now. Believe me, uh -huh. there's a there's a 400, 400 year pandemic that we had to suffer with. And, um, you know, and I work the steps on those things. And I'm not saying I'm, I'm like joyful uh, about those things, but I accept them. And, you know, I, you know, and, and, and I can, you know, I've said several times, if someone doesn't understand somebody of my texture of how we, you know, how we feel and what we're going through, feel free to, to reach out. You know, I'm not going, I'm not going, I'm not going to yell at you, but some of y'all don't know what, what we're going through. You know, some of y'all had this pandemic for a little while. We had to suffer for 400 years. And again, I'm not turning into that type of meme, but I'm just showing you what the steps have done for me. Oh, I was angry. I was mean. I was, I was extra mean when these things was happening. And, and I suffer from justified anger. But just for today, I have acceptance with people not having an acceptance, right? Like I made a couple of amends this morning. My mother, you know, whatever, she's a little older. And you know, you have five minutes, Charles. Thank you kindly. Um, my mother, she's a little older, and you know, you, you know how we get, you know, and you know, we don't want nobody to tell us what to do and whatever. I made an amends to my mother. I said, Mom, I wish you had a joyous, lovely, beautiful, happy, nice day on purpose. And she's like, Thank you, son. And you know, and, and my brother, and people, you know, and, and and people just, you know, people use your recovery to manipulate you. And I see the I see the enemy coming straight ahead because I I try to follow the instructions in the text. Um, I try not to share too much. I really say no a lot because my fa I got I got a family, and I don't want to be a super OA human being. I'm just I'm just a regular person trying to uh, get spiritually fit. And you know I'm just gonna leave it at that. Thank you. Thank you so much, Charles. Okay, looks like we will now observe the seventh tradition. Uh, the LA Inner Group suggests that you continue to contribute as we still have operating expenses, including rent for the OA office and the subscription costs of this Zoom service. Please go to www.donate.laig.org for directly to our PayPal account. Um, I think we can also throw that in the chat as well. Um, any amount is appreciated and accepted. If you are joining us from outside of the Los Angeles area, we encourage you to donate to the intergroup that supports your local fellowship. Following the seventh tradition, we will hear from our remaining speaker. I have asked a friend to read the 12 traditions. Dan C, please unmute yourself, yourself and start reading. Thank you. Hi, I'm Dan, I'm a compulsive overreader. These are the 12 traditions of Overreaders Anonymous. <clears throat> Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants, they do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive of reader who still suffers. 
six, NOA Group Alt never endorsed Binance or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, plus problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, O-Readers Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committee direct, uh, committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all, all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thanks so much, Dan. All right, moving right along, please welcome our third speaker, Domingo. Hey, everybody, how's it going? Happy Thanksgiving. Um, glad to see all y'all. And uh, it's good to be here. My name is Domingo, I'm a compulsive overeater. Thank you, Rashad, for asking me to be of service and for everybody here doing, doing service, putting this thing together and just showing up. I'm really grateful. Um, and I don't know what I'm gonna share, but I'll share a little bit about what it was like, what happened to me and what I'm like today. And I'm gonna try to concentrate on a couple of topics that I have in mind, but we'll see. Um, so what is like, what, what, what was it like? And I'm gonna try to keep that really short. Um, a husk, uh, actually normal size kid from the pictures um, you know, when I was young, something happened around grade two, life became too much for me, and I, and I had to compulsively overeat to manage my emotions and to hide and for it to be a friend and for everything to be okay. Um, and I gained weight from the, when I came back to second grade after summer vacation, everybody, I could see the look in everybody's eyes. I had already become a little hypervigilant, you know, I was starting my hypervigilant career, like, you know, what is your reaction? What are you noticing, you know, reading you? Uh, am I safe? Am I not safe? Am I acting the right way? I had already started that, that you know, um, by that point. And I, I remember people's reaction to me. This was second grade. I don't know what I was set. Well, I was seven. I'm 53 now. And um, you know what? I'm going to it seems like I always go long on this part. So I'm going to try to keep it short. Long story short is uh, I gained weight. I didn't like it. Um, I had, but I wasn't going to give up compulsively overeating because it's the only thing I knew that was keeping me alive. Um, but I wanted to have friends and I wanted to have a girlfriend and I wanted to be liked and I wanted to be successful. And uh, so the race was on. And I knew that to do those things, meaning I thought, my mis one, misconception number one was that I had to be thin or I had to be what we call buff back in the day uh, or yoked, you know, because I also, I also um, really, I'm a sensitive guy. I'm quiet. I'm reserved. I don't like to get in people's business and people read that as they can bully me, you know. So I thought, you know, if I was, if I was big or bulked up or, or had a lot of friends that I, that would give me the security I needed. 
years and years of trying to compulsively overexercise. Manage first, I tried managing my food, didn't work. I love food too much, uh, so compulsively overexercise. I'm an exercise bulimic. Did all kinds of weird things. Ultimately, joined the Marine Corps, which worked for a good period of time. That was my quote unquote most successful period. They got me down to 169 pounds. I was, I don't know, early 20s, 21, 22. Um, I had a 29 inch waist and I could run like a gazelle, um, you know, for the first time. I could, out, I could outrun uh, people who would do triathlons. Um, I was very proud of that fact. And, um, but, you know, it was, uh, it was the second best time that I was in the best shape of my life. I consider myself to be in the best shape of my life today because I don't have to do any exercise. Um, I'm not doing that calculation that I used to do. Uh, you know, okay, well, I'll exercise. Um, and then, you know, I'll have to exercise this much to, um, in order to eat this much. You know, everybody has a different experience. I'm just speaking about mine. What I realized is exercise is a very poor way to manage weight for me. In recovery, um, I lost all my weight without any exercise at all. And today I can do it or not do it. It doesn't really matter. I do it now for my health. Um, so quickly, uh, Marine Corps didn't work. Decades of uh, emotional isolation, um, you know, ruining everything in my life uh, emotionally, personally, uh, divorced, uh, no friends or family to speak of, ultimately living in my car because I have three areas in my life where my disease shows up and that's money, food, and relationships. And um, so there I was uh, homeless, uh, living in my car, but successful, you know, making more money than most Americans make a senior manager in a, in a retail company, having three locations that I manage, you know, 40 some odd people. And, you know, my life was completely unmanageable, but, you know, in my disease, I thought I still had it. This is just a minor setback. And, uh, you know, one thing I could say for me as being, uh, is I'm very persistent. And so, um, you know, I, I, I love running up hills. I love running up hills and mountains. I hate running down hills. Like if it's a challenge, that's for me, because I always think that life needs to be hard. I don't, I, it, it's been taking, you know, I've been in decade in recovery, came into recovery in 2009, uh, did a geographic, found a sponsor. He had lost more weight than I had ever weighed, meaning he'd lost over 300 and some odd pounds and had maintained it for four years and he looked relaxed. And I was like, I want that um, because I had never been able to do that because he wasn't running in place. He wasn't talking about, you know, his exercise regimen. He wasn't talking about anything else. And so I'm like, I, I'm like, I, I, you know, I want that. And um, asked him to be my sponsor. We worked the steps in the big book. I was scared, um, definitely, because I, I, I didn't have a voice. I wasn't somebody who, you know, I thought once you get on this step train, it's going to do something to you and it's going to take you places. And, and I wasn't sure where it was going to take me and what I was going to have to do. But, but you know what? I just followed him. Uh, and you know, trusted him like an older brother, and and uh, and and he just he just told me what worked for him. He shared it, and fortunately, it worked for me. He gave me the food plan. He said, um, "I'm spending so much time on this. I want to talk about what it's like now." But <laughs> he said, "Look, 
you know what? I'm just going to let it go for whatever it is. He said, are you not willing to go to any lengths for your recovery? And I said, you know, I've been through the Marine Corps. I grew up in East Los Angeles. Uh, you know, I mean, I've been through all kinds of difficult. I'm living in my car. Sure, I'm willing to go to any lengths. Um, so he said, here's who you're going to call. Here's what you're going to eat. You know, here's the food plan. Here's my food plan. You know, if you want to do get what I got, this, you're going to eat my food plan. That's all, that's all I can give you. Um, here's how many meetings you're going to go to a week. Um, you're going to raise your hand for 30 days and identify as a newcomer. Um, we're going to read, five, you're going to read five pages of the big book. You're going to write a short one paragraph report. You're going to call me before every meal. Oh, blah, blah, blah. he gave me the whole program unapologetically. He said, he said, you know, your job, uh, what do you say? My job is to give you instructions. Your job is to follow instructions. He said, he said, your best thinking didn't work then it's not going to work now. So he said, I'm never going to argue about something. I'm going to just share what works for me. You want to adopt it? Fine. If not, you know, that's fine too. Um, I adopted it and it worked, thankfully. And, uh, and it's how I bring in sponsees too, um, as well, when I, when I sponsor. Anyways, long story short, my, my life started to get better. Wondered when's this higher power thing going to work? And, you know, I don't know, maybe six months into recovery, I'm losing weight, my relationships are better, I'm enjoying life, chaos has gone down from like 11 to like a two. Um, and, you know, I'm, I, I'm starting to reestablish relationships with my friends and family. And I'm wondering when, like, when God's going to come into my life, you know, and that's when it hit me uh, that it was already happening, you know. And, and uh, that has been the biggest prize is a connection with the God of my understanding who lives inside me. Hence, a uh, connection with the God of my understanding is a very deep connection with myself, with that inner self that, you know, as a child uh, started building up all these protections and all these ways of that he thought he needed, he needed to be in order to be, you know, sorry, in order to be uh, loved and to succeed and um, to be of value in the world. <laughs> I normally don't get this emotional. <laughs> I'm kind of embarrassed by it, sorry. Anyways, this, by the way, I know I didn't have time to um, do little pictures, but that's, that's me right there saying I'm number one. That was me about four or five years old. And that's the kid, you know, I get to stay, get connected with today, you know, and, um, and I'm really, I'm really grateful for that, you know, and a lot has happened and, you know, I've been in recovery. By the way, I'm a hundred. So I'm a, I'm an exercise bulimic. I'm a hundred pounder. Uh, my highest weight. Was, thank you. My highest weight was somewhere upwards of you know, three three hundred ten pounds or somewhere around there. I've been maintaining a uh, hundred and some odd fourteen. Let's call it one hundred fourteen. Let's call it to be specific one hundred fourteen and a half pound weight loss. Uh, and uh, without exercise. And um, 
no exercise required if if you don't want to. Uh, and um, what else? I don't know what else. Anyways, um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about the exercise thing, and I want to talk a little bit about my food. Well, since I just recently talked about exercise, I'll I'll just hopefully I got less than probably three minutes, so I'll just talk briefly about how one thing that really well when I came in I didn't need to do exercise I maintained my food but you know I still you know wanted to achieve something well I had really these lifelong misconceptions about myself and goals and things because I still think that I wanted to be you know running the Ironman in in Hawaii you know on the volcano pits and and that was a dream of mine maybe that'll happen someday but I don't have to carry it with me today and somebody said in a meeting you know what, I don't have the right to change my body type. And I was like, what do you mean? That's a God-given right. That's what I've been doing my whole life. Maybe even in recovery a little bit, you know? Okay, maybe a lot. You know, I still have that, not, I haven't been trying to do a lot of things because I pretty, my weight's pretty much been the same. My, my waist size has been the same, but you know, the acceptance of my body is a whole different, you know, is a whole different level. Um, so that was the first thing is I'm going to stop separating exercise with the way I look and then just make exercise if I want to for health. So, you know, I, I do like a 30 minute or an hour walk through nature quietly. Um, and sometimes I don't go very far because I'm stopping to take pictures or I'm looking at something or I'm watching animals or, or whatever the case might be. Um, so that was really key is separating exercise with how I look and weight loss. Um, cause it had never got me sustained weight loss anyways. Okay. Cause I'll tell you in recovery, I love running up mountains. I'll go and run nine miles up a mountain, come back at my food. I'm, I don't change it. And my body, my, my, my weight won't change. I mean, over long period, over months, may, maybe a pound or two or three, but not like I think, or I used, to, I used to think you go out for a nine mile hike or run like I run and you, I get to eat another pizza or two. And, and then, and, and that's being generous, you know, meaning, okay. All right. So anyway, so that was number one. Number two is I started, I just became willing a few days ago to weigh my food. And that has been a big release of, cause you know, again, I have my food, my weight doesn't change a lot or whatever, but I do um, I do want, uh, I do still carry the burden of uh, a banana is 110 calories, you know, and I, I go and I look at these bananas, these bananas, uh, you know, I can't buy these bananas. Look at the size of those bananas. You know, I go, I have all these, you know, thoughts are in the thing, or look at the size of this chicken breast. Like there was a resentment that I had on a place I used to go eat because their chicken breasts started getting smaller. So that's all that stuff that I get to let go. So in the last minute, I'll say higher power, number one, I got that through the steps and by getting a sponsor following direction, that's the whole prize of the program. What, what's kind of fringe benefits is being able to let go of this, these burdens that I thought I had to carry, you, you know, goals, even well-seeming goals. I just, if I'm not actively working on it today, I get to, you know, put it in a box, you know, maybe someday and not carry it with me or this burden with my food. Like, even though I really eat soup, you know, healthy, cause I love and enjoy, I enjoy every meal. Um, 
I still was carrying these little things that were driving me crazy about the size of a banana or the size of a chicken breast. And, and, and I was eating all my calories, which aren't a lot per day because they were my calories and God darn it, I wasn't going to not eat my calories. And today, you know, I'm a little more, I can see I'm going to eat all my calories now because it's a lot. Anyways, I'm not going to get into specifically other than to say that I'm just feeling a lot, a lot more freedom because I'm like, Domingo, you don't have to carry that today, you know, and, and it's making me gleeful, gleeful, is that a word? Um, happy and joyful. And, um, and I thought I had a lot more to say, but apparently I don't. And all I, all to wrap up is that I'm really grateful to be at this meeting. I wish I would have had some pictures to show you guys um, um, so you guys can see see me sitting in my car with my depressed face with a little um, donut jelly right here um, and um, like where I came from you know where this disease took me and thankfully there's a way out and like my sponsor said you know I don't have to ever compulsively overeat again if I don't want to that is a reality and a possibility today, one day at a time, just for today. Anyways, thanks, you guys. I'm grateful. I love all you guys. And um, thanks for letting me share. Thanks, Mingo. All righty. Before our final speaker, we have a few OA announcements. Please welcome our OA Los Angeles intergroup chairperson, Jeff M. Hi, thank you, Shanetta. Uh, I'm Jeff. I'm a compulsive overeater and 100-pounder, and uh, also, parenthetically, your chair of the LA Intergroup. Uh, as this is a Thursday, but it's also Thanksgiving, I wanted to concentrate these announcements on our thanks. And so we, on behalf of the LA uh, board and the Intergroup, we thank you all for being here. Uh, thank you, uh, Shanetta, for leading. Thank you, uh, Jess and Charles and Domingo, uh, and in advance, Diane for speaking today. And uh, thanks, Susan, for taking over the birthday, for continuing stewardship of the birthday party through these trying times. Uh, and we also want to thank you all for your patience during these trying times. Uh, you know, it's sometimes difficult to do these all, these meetings and events on Zoom, and you guys have really been incredible in uh, your assistance and your help and your participation, and we really do appreciate that. And we also appreciate your continuing donations. And so now I'll take a moment to pitch that you can donate to the LA Intergroup to keep the service alive. Uh, and uh, Katie was kind enough just to post the information in the chat. But if you're on the phone, it's donate.oalaig.org. And we do really appreciate that. I also wanted to remind everyone, we're going to be co-sponsoring with the San Fernando Valley Intergroup a Promises meeting on the 12th of December on the you know, one, speak, one speaker per promise. Uh, and it will be a terrific meeting. And we're doing that in conjunction with the Valley. So it'll be a lot, a lot of folks. And uh, I'm sure that uh, Katie has already put that in the chat as she has. Also want to thank Kelly, who is our uh, Zoom monitor, Shanetta for leading, Katie uh, for being the tech host uh, and uh, putting together all the graphics, the beautiful graphics that we use on all our flyers. Uh, Katie has done a tremendous amount of work uh, in getting the meetings over to Zoom. <clears throat> so uh, bravo and thank you. And not but last but not least, uh, Rashad. Uh, Rashad's terming out 
Uh, he has been our special events chair for the past couple of years. He's done a tremendous job with all of his events and, uh, and a tremendous job in his creativity in helping us port this over to Zoom. So we really appreciate it. Uh, and lastly, I want to thank every one of you on this line because you keep me sane and sober with my food and keep me from being 338 pounds again. So I really do appreciate that. I wish you all a tremendously happy Thanksgiving and a uh, hopeful turn to normalcy sometime in the new year. Thank you again. Thanks so much, Jeff. Great. Please welcome our final speaker, Diane C. Hi. Hello, everybody. My name is Diane. I am a compulsive overeater, anorexic bulimic, and I'm very, very grateful to be here. Uh, I just paged through all the pages and it just gave me a feeling of overwhelm to think about this program and think about the breadth and width and depth and history of this program and AA and all the programs and how it, it really is a miracle to me. And that we are all here in the middle of this is a miracle. Um, I'd like to thank Rashad, Katie and Shanetta um, and all the work they do. Thank you very much, Jess, Charles and Domingo for speaking and everybody else who does service. I am a compulsive overeater anorexic bulimic. I was thinking about history. I came in my first meeting was July 8th of 1987, and my abstinence date is July 14th of 1987. And I will talk a little bit about what it was like. And I think bullet points will sort of do it because we all speak the same language, uh, more or less. And um, welcome to the newcomers. If you're new, please keep coming back. Don't worry if it doesn't make sense. Don't worry if it feels like another language, just keep coming. My very first meeting I went to, I stood in the back in New York and I had no idea what was going on. They didn't talk about, they talked about their feelings and I just couldn't believe it. I didn't understand it. And I left early, so I wouldn't have to talk to anybody. And um, I went home and I sat on the edge of the bathtub and I cried and cried and cried because I had no idea what had just happened. But I knew that I felt a relief that I'd never known before. And that's what comes to me every single time I go to a meeting. What was it like before? I was shut down. I was obsessed with diets. I was obsessed with not eating too much. I had discovered diet pills, which aren't legal in Canada for good reason, but I got them anyway, because that's what we do. We can figure things out. We will get ourselves through the smallest possible hole to get something, even if there's no hole. I discovered laxatives. I uh, thought about food all the time. And it's painful to think about how much time, energy, attention, <clears throat> thought I spent on food. And this is in the olden days, in a small town where the stores were only open certain hours. There was one candy store, two. Um, and uh, that's what I spent my allowance on. It wouldn't occur to me to save it. I, I spent it on candy. Um, and if I look back over all those years, I think that a general description for me is that I was frozen on the inside 
I had no idea what I felt. I couldn't have told you why I was doing what I was doing. And on the outside, I was really busy. I mean, I was busy. First of all, I was the fourth of five kids. Um, and my siblings are, were and, st and still are my best friends, which has been a huge gift. And so I always had someone to play with. And, um, and there's a part of me that's really extroverted. And then on the other hand, there's a part of me that just wants to be my myself and is really introverted. And that part of me really came into four when I started eating because nobody knew what I was doing. I didn't gain 50 pounds. I was always in this sort of 10, 15, 20 pound thing. Um, and it kept me super busy. I used to like um, cereal that was sweetened that you could get out of the box in little round colored balls. And I kept it under my bed because I didn't want anyone else to have it. I wanted what I wanted and I wanted to control it and I wanted to control everything. I was in, I was the teacher's pet at school. I was in every activity in school. I played sports, I did everything. And um, I thought I had, I actually thought I had a great life if I could just get the food under control. Uh, my mother committed suicide two weeks before I turned 18 and I was at college and I was, what I can tell you about that day was that I had gotten in my size 29 jeans in the morning and I was proud of myself and thrilled. And that afternoon I found out my mother had killed herself. So in the way that we overeaters have, we compulsive overeaters, undereaters, everything have, events so often have to do with body size. People have already alluded to that. I can tell you how much I weighed at almost any given point in my life um, and what I was eating or not eating and, and, and all the rest of it. And that's when I think of my mother's death day and her suicide, I think of size 29 jeans, my mother killed herself. And um, I, we, I told myself nobody was ever going to leave me again. I wasn't going to go through anything. I, was, I couldn't tolerate the feeling. So everything went like a curtain, whoop, super frozen. And I went to, and on the outside, I functioned. I was at college. I finished college. I went to graduate school. I got a job. I moved to the States. Function, function, function. And on the inside, I was dying more and more and more. I was, I discovered that I could chew my food and spit it out without swallowing it. So I wouldn't ruin my great teeth because I heard bulimics ruin their teeth. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to be too anorexic because I worked out all the time and I was running. So I didn't want to do that. And I didn't want to be this big. So I came up with my own solution, of course, because we do. And that's what it was. And the problem was that it brought on this self-hate and the self-loathing and the secrecy and the desperation and the fear and the shame and the hurt and everything else. And on the outside, I had a life. On the inside, I was dying. I was counting the days until I turned 30 and could kill myself because that was my plan. I made, I made my own solutions for everything. My friends call it Diane logic. I thought, okay, my mother died at 17. If I spend 13 years trying to feel better, get better, figure it out, save her, and if I don't figure this out by 30, I can die. Well, guess what? Can't figure it out. But I had collected all the pills that all the doctors gave me because they saw a depressed person. They, nobody ever said, how do you feel? How do you feel that your mother killed herself? Nobody ever said that until I came into program. At 29 and a half, I found OA in New York because I heard people talking about AA. And I thought, well, okay, found it in the yellow pages. Thank you, OA, for advertising that way. And um, 
I went to the meeting and that very first meeting changed things. It changed things. There were people like me. There were people who were doing what I was doing or not doing. There were people counting calories. There were people, I mean, I know the calories of everything. I know how much you spend when you run and do any activity. That's what we do. I know how much reading a book takes of calories. And, you know, I got a sponsor. It took me six months. I was too afraid to ask anybody because I did not want to be turned down. So what kept me coming to program? I'm going to sidetrack here for a second because it's so important. Why does program work? I'm going to talk for a minute about tradition one. If you're new, don't worry about this. Just keep coming back. We have steps and we have traditions. I worked the steps with my sponsor. I went to workshops. I've worked the traditions. I've been through the concepts. I've read the big book cover to cover, two pages a day, numerous times, underlining one sentence on every page that works for me. If you start January 1st, you'll be finished in October. It's a wonderful way to get through the big book. But tradition one is that our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. What does that mean to me? To me, it means that it might look messy, but OA has this irresistible strength of purpose and action. And if we don't hold together, we will not survive. And that is how we have survived all these years. If we are to continue to live and recover, we must have the continued support of OA groups and the inspiration of our fellow OA members. This is from the 12 and 12 of OA, which did not exist when I came in. It's a new book as far as I'm concerned. The unity of OA is a matter of life and death to us. And um, if we as individuals did not value the common welfare of the fellowship above our, above our own personal viewpoints, OA would soon split into argumentative factions and would lose the strength that comes from our unity of union of many and unity of purpose. And um, we listen to others. There's room for more than one approach in recovery. We all know that, especially in this program where there are people come from many different um, food issues, weight issues, whatever. And it's this unity of purpose that keeps us together. And the first tradition of unity reminds us of an important truth. We are not alone. We are connected to our fellow human beings. Our emotional and spiritual health depends upon the health of our relationships. What, what then happened to me in program was my sponsor told me about the importance of the steps and the traditions and working them and continuing to keep them in my life. And I was thinking of what I've learned in the program. What I've learned in the program is to let go. I used to hold on to everything like this. I got abstinent. It was not easy. That first year of abstinence, I was angry about everything, everything, everything. Year two, I was, I, I just, I mean, I was obsessed with food and I got angry and I had food and anger and food and anger. And that was sort of the duo that kept me going the first couple of years. In AA, they say you get your brains back at five years. And I remember thinking, who are they? I'm going to have my brains back really fast. But you know what? I see it in newcomers. I see it in other people. It takes those years. It takes years of working the program to get to that level. I look mm -hmm. to the people ahead of me. I look to the old timers and I get so much from them. And I also get a calmness and a thoughtfulness. And I have been told and taught by so many people about so much. And my sponsors in particular, my, per my current sponsor, Susan, L. And I say that because it's really important for me to always have a sponsor in the program. Uh, she's my third one. My first one left the program. The second one um, got ill and left the program. And now I have Susan, who's fabulous. I have learned to let go of, of, of my thoughts, of what I think should happen, of trying to control everything. I've learned uh, a mantra in here I was taught at the beginning that I'm going to share with you that I still use. I am enough. 
I have enough, I do enough. I am enough, I have enough, I do enough. That has gotten me through 33 years of abstinence. I am enough, I have enough, I do enough. My shame came up, I had to deal with it. My feelings all came up. This thawing out of feelings that happened for me when I put that food down, I had to get through that. It was years of outside help, years of talking to other people. I was taught to make three calls a day. And that was when there was call waiting and no cell phones, barely call waiting, but we did it. I, had, I knew what fellowship was. I had dinner with the same group of women after the anorexic bulimic meeting in New York for five years. The same women every Sunday, same table, same menu, same food, you know how we are. I learned to reach out to other people. I learned to make phone calls. I learned to have sponsees. I learned to keep coming back. I learned that I am finding out who I am. Uh, program has helped me to thrive, especially this year. This having structure in my life, having a sense of purpose, having things to do that are important to me. I've learned to keep the focus on myself. I exercise every day. I have zero aches and pains. I was talking to my hair person in January and I said, you know, I would love to go somewhere for six months and just let my hair go. And then poof, I, it all happened. And you know what? I don't care what anybody thinks anymore. My whole life was about what will they think? What will the neighbors think? Oh my God. And I don't care. I mean, I don't say that in a mean way. It's just like, I don't care. Um, and it's incredibly freeing. And it's all from program. Program has taught me everything. I could not read a novel when I came in here. I could not think straight. I could not follow through on, on things with myself. I, I read the classics. I'm literally reading Proust. 3,000 pages, six volumes. It's my pandemic. I'm actually listening to half of it. I love it. I can hardly wait to go back to 1901 Paris because I'm present. I can show up for things. I have God in my life today. I, my sponsor took me to a meditation workshop in two and on July 3rd of 2003 because I would not meditate. So we spent the day in a workshop in New York and I learned a meditation practice that works for me. And I've meditated every day since July 3rd of 2003. And I say that if anybody is thinking about meditation, for me, it is as life-changing as program. It's right under there. Program, working steps, sponsorship, being abstinent, meditation, right in there. And um, why? It settles my mind. I, uh, some, it's funny to hear, I broke my ankle three years ago in program. Oh my God, what am I going to do? I've never not exercised, ever. And you know what? I got through it in a great way. And my arms got really strong from going up and down the stairs on my bum for months. And um, I had a concussion and brain injury three years ago. And I, I couldn't, uh, my short-term memory didn't work. I couldn't fill out a form. I couldn't follow conversations. I couldn't read a book. I couldn't tolerate loud voices. I couldn't watch television. I couldn't do anything. What did I do? I listened to meditations. I listened to books on meditation. I listened to people talk about a spiritual life. And that has been a humongous gift. I've done a lot of recovery physically. I do, I do balance exercises and blah, 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 all this stuff. And you know what? I show up because this is where this can't be my life. I'm not meant to have this. Well, guess what? This is your life. And that's the other piece is this is your life. This is it. I live, I'm married to, I don't just live with them. Ha! My husband's 30 years older than me. And, um, you know, he's 92 and he's amazing. And um, this is the first, he said to me the other day, you know what, Di, I cannot carve the turkey this year. 
And that's a big difference from last year because he can't, it's hard for him to stand for that long. And I adore him and I'm not stressing about it because God is in charge of whatever's gonna happen. And um, I'm just gonna wrap up very quickly and say thank you for my recovery. And uh, my phone number is in the chat if anybody would like outreach. I'm so grateful to be here and thank you all. Thanks so much, Diane. On behalf of the Los Angeles Intergroup, I would like to thank each of our speakers for sharing their experience, strength, and hope with us.